Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Good morning. It's good to see y'all. My name is Nick Jodkowski. I'm the associate pastor here at Mosaic Church. I'd like to start by asking you a question this morning. The question is very simply this. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you thought you were in control only to realize later that you were in fact not in control? Yes, me too. Me too. In fact, it happened to me just this past week. Jason and I had gone to visit a friend in the hospital, and as it was around lunchtime, I offered to go get us some delicious Jimmy John subs. And the order was simple enough. It was supposed to be three sandwiches and three Diet Cokes. Simple enough, right? I thought to myself, I've got this situation under control. Or so I thought I had the situation under control. Because the unexpected problems that manifested themselves in in this situation were twofold. First, I'm Polish. And that means that I'm naturally predisposed to clumsiness. I like to do things like fall off ladders. Perfectly good ladders, mind you. The second one is that Jimmy John's, in their infinite wisdom, has chosen as a company model to employ the use of drink carriers from the 1980s. You know the ones I'm talking about. It's those flimsy cardboard containers that only seem to grip about a half a centimeter on the bottom of the cup. So when you combine the fact that I'm Polish, and you combine the fact that I had in one arm this giant bag of subs, and in the other hand, I was trying to balance these ginormous Diet Cokes in this very wobbly container, you can understand that the situation was not quite as in control as I believed it to be. And you guessed it, disaster struck. As I walked back into the hotel in a very Polish way, as I sat down, one of the Diet Cokes dislodged from the container, and I watched in slow motion as it began to go over the side and proceeded to spill out all over the emergency room floor. As Jason sat there, wide-eyed and laughing at my unfortunate mishap, I realized that I truly was not in control of the situation as I had thought I was. And unfortunately, a similar drama plays out in other areas of my life as well, most notably as it relates to the area of sin and temptation. And let me just explain for you a little bit about what I mean when I say that, because oftentimes I have a tendency to approach sin and temptation in my life as if it's something that I can control. In other words, I tend to tell myself these two different things. First, As long as it's not hurting anybody else, or as long as nobody else knows about what's happening, I have the ability to successfully maintain and control this behavior in my life. The problem is, unfortunately, that sin is like one of those flimsy drink containers, right? It only temporarily allows me the illusion that I control it. 
However, before long, it always buckles under the weight of my own hypocrisy, and it ends up spilling out for the whole world to see. And it goes all over the place. And so my life ends up being a truth and revealing a truth that is found in God's word. And this truth is this. God says that your sin will always find you out. And so consequently, time and time again, church, I've had to learn this very hard lesson. And the lesson is this. The sin I think I control actually controls me. The sin that I think I control actually controls me. And so I can find myself wandering down these kind of despondent and hopeless pathways in my journey of faith, wondering why it is time and time again I continually give in to the same temptation over and over. And that always leads me to a very particular crossroads in my journey with Jesus. Namely, it's this. That if I, as a follower of Jesus, am recipient of his promise of life and life more abundant, why is it that I continue to wrestle with the same temptations? Why is it that I can't say no to struggling with these same temptations over and over again in my life? Can anyone else in here relate to that idea? Of course, right? All of us, I think if we were honest this morning, could probably say that there are temptations in our lives that we continue to struggle with over and over again, either because we labor under the belief that we can somehow control that temptation, or because we think we can hide it, or perhaps because we would say that that desire to sin feels so much stronger than our desire to do good before God. And to quote the iconic movie from 1995, Tommy Boy, why say no when it feels so good to say yes? And thus, the question I want to invite us to explore this morning, church, is this. Is it even possible to develop a routine in our lives where we can routinely overcome temptation? Is that even a reality for us in today's modern society? The truth is, if you've joined us over these last few weeks, you know that we've encountered stories from numerous people who have failed miserably to actually answer that question. But thankfully, this morning, we're actually going to examine the life of a man named Joseph who successfully avoided some of the missteps of his other compatriots found in the pages of Genesis. And it's here in Joseph's story that I think we'll uncover some ideas or truths about how we might also uh, overcome temptation in our lives today. And so I invite you, if you have your Bibles, perhaps even your Bible apps, you can turn to Genesis chapter 39. And we're going to explore there what God's Word has to say on this particular matter. And as you're turning there, and we're arriving on the scene at Genesis 39, as it were, a lot has already transpired in young Joseph's life up until this point. And so let me very quickly just kind of fill you in on some of the backstory that's going on. Joseph, as a young man, was highly favored. He was highly favored by both his father and by God. And so consequently, his father 
would give, gave him an ornate tunic. We might say, if you know the Broadway play, that, molt, that Technicolor dream coat, right? He gave him this ornate tunic as a special gift, while God was giving Joseph prophetic dreams about his future. And both of these symbols of favor devolved into a very heated sibling rivalry between Joseph and his brothers. And of course, Joseph's brothers responded the way any level-headed sibling would respond when faced with overt favoritism. They sat down and had a calm and nuanced conversation and worked out all their problems with Joseph. Just kidding, right? This is Genesis after all. And so you know that someone went level 10 Karen crazy in this situation. And that happened to be Joseph's brothers. And in this situation, they actually decide that the best course of action is to sell Joseph into slavery and that they were going to cover it up by dipping his tunic in goat's blood and pretending that he had got eaten by a wild animal. Makes sense, right? Like, that's common rationale, like a way to solve this problem. But again, I remind you, we are talking about Genesis here. And as Joseph ends up in, G- in, in Egypt, he winds up serving in the home of an Egyptian official by the name of Potiphar. And because God's favor is resting on Joseph, everything that he touches in Potiphar's home turns to gold. And it doesn't take long before Potiphar starts to notice, hey, this guy is succeeding in everything that he does. And as a result, it doesn't take long for Potiphar also to say, I'm going to put this dude in charge of my entire household. But as we're about to see, Potiphar wasn't the only one who was watching Joseph in this moment. And so let's pick up our story beginning in verse 6. It says this, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. I want to stop there for just a moment. Because there is an important information that we need to consider as we're reading this verse. There are only two other dudes in the entirety of the Bible which describes them as being beautiful men. Those guys being King David and his son Absalom. So you know this to be true, that if Joseph was awarded this title in Scripture, we are talking about a guy who was next level kind of pretty. We're talking about someone who is on par with Michael B. Jordan, right? Ryan Reynolds of our day kind of looks. And so as a result, hey, we're talking about temptation here. Settle down, y'all. As a result, Genesis 39 says this. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. (laughs) Talk about temptation. There is nothing shy or coy about this temptation. But before we rush to judge Potiphar's wife, again, I think there's some mitigating circumstances that we need to pay attention to. The first is is that Potiphar was actually likely a eunuch, which means that he was castrated. So you can imagine that that probably created a particular set of problems in their marriage. Second, we also know that in ancient Egyptian culture, there was a low moral expectation on women. It was assumed that women would have sex outside of marriage. 
And so as we understand these two different facts, we might correctly deduce that Potiphar's wife's actions in this moment, though totally wrong, were motivated by some intense feelings and by the cultural norms of her day. And this matters for us today for this reason. Because we have a tendency at times to view temptation through a very similar lens. In our current cultural context, our day and age prioritizes an individual's personal feelings as the epitome or the personification of absolute truth. In other words, whatever you feel... Whatever you feel, especially as it relates to issues of your identity, whatever you feel as it relates to issues of your sexual preferences, whatever you feel as it relates to your own experiences, that defines what is true and real for you. Additionally, similar to ancient Egypt, we also live in a day where there is, perhaps shall we say, low moral expectations as well. And I think we can uh, say very easily as a church that we have exchanged a high view of God's moral law in substitute for the low-hanging moral fruit of our culture. And these ideological worldviews that we bump into every day we turn on the news, every day we get onto social media, every day we go out into the world, threaten to skew how we view the temptation in our lives. And so let's jump back into the story now in Genesis 39, and let's see specifically how Joseph responds to this temptation from Potiphar's wife. Beginning in verse 8, it says this, But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And Joseph's tactic here in dealing with temptation is absolutely brilliant. And one I believe we would do well to mimic in our day and age. Now notice what he does. Joseph doesn't view this temptation through the lens of his own feelings. Nor does he view this temptation through his cultural expectations. Either which would have likely mitigated any reason for him to say no to a response at all. Instead... Joseph refutes the lie of the temptation by calling out the true nature of sin. Joseph refutes the lie of temptation by calling out the true nature of sin. And the lie that's implicit in this invitation to participate in an adulterous affair is the same lie that's promulgated by temptation every time we encounter it. It tells us us that um, do not worry about it. It's not a big deal. You won't get caught. It's going to be fun. No one's going to get hurt. You deserve this. Just one more time. And the one that I bump into all the time, you're in control of this situation. And Joseph, to his credit in this moment, is having none of it. He immediately and without hesitation speaks the reality of the matter. 
He says to Potiphar's wife, this is a wicked thing and a sin against God. He recognizes and boldly professes what the Apostle Paul would later write in the book of Romans, who said that, a, that sin, every sin, and temptation that leads us to sin, ultimately leads us to spiritual death and separation from God. And church, the truth is, this morning, as I thought about this and processed this for you and for me, I can't wonder help but wonder how many of us, myself included, might avoid the pitfalls of temptation if we chose to employ Joseph's response. And the reality of the matter is, for myself and perhaps even for you, is that we struggle with the same temptations over and over and over again because we refuse to acknowledge that what we're actually doing is something that is wicked and is a sin against God. Instead, we have this tendency to coddle our pet sins. We have this tendency to toy around with our pet sins until those things turn around and bite us on the backside. And then it's that point we say, oh God, help me, help me, help me. I've done something wrong. But Joseph's example teaches us, church, that we need to be about the business of calling out sin for what it is in the moment and not waiting until it's too late. And so Joseph does a great thing here. He actually refuses her advances. But Potiphar's wife, much like temptation that we face, is not about to give up so easily. And so let's continue the story beginning back in verse 10. It says this, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, talk, to, talk about persistent temptation, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house and attended to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her, in her hand and ran out of the house. And here's the thing that we need to understand about temptation this morning. There are times when we will encounter temptation in our journey of faith where we have the moral clarity in that moment to be able to respond to the lie with the truth of God's word. But only sometimes. Because more often than not, temptation is one of those things that actually lunges from us in the dark when we least expect it. And our only defense in that moment is to flee and run as Joseph did. And some of us may be tempted. See what I said there? Some of us may be tempted to think that Joseph's response in this moment sounds unbiblical. After all... As followers of Jesus, aren't we supposed to be marching ahead in great victory in our lives? Yes, sometimes, absolutely. However, in fleeing the scene, Joseph is actually responding in a very biblical manner, as victory over temptation will often arrive as a result of us running away from it. If you don't believe me, let's check out what Paul has to say in 2 Timothy 2.22. And it's here that he's writing to his young protege, Timothy, and he encourages him to run from temptation whenever necessary. He writes this, flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, 
Elsewhere, uh, Paul also writes, flee from sexual immorality. And therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Are you starting to get a picture of what the Bible is talking about? Running as Joseph did is sometimes the only appropriate response that we have to temptation in our lives. And the Bible actively encourages us as followers of Jesus to run. Often because you and I are not strong enough to withstand the temptation on our own. And the most biblical thing we can do in those moments is to run away from it. And so here is the big truth this morning, church, that I want you to catch. If you hear nothing else this morning, tune in for these next couple of minutes. Here is the big truth that I want you to catch. If we are running away from temptation, that also means that we are running toward something else. And our natural response when we hear stories like this in the Bible is to make the human character the hero of that story. And as a result, we tend to run toward that individual's behavior in an effort to mimic or emulate that in our own lives. And I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but when we make it the center of the story, our actions are going to be misguided. Specifically, as we look in the instance of Joseph's story, we tell ourselves that I just need to try harder. I just need to try harder to have more integrity in my life, to have more moral fortitude, to act and overcome temptation just like Joseph did. The problem is, church, the problem is is that Joseph isn't the hero of the story. In fact, no human actor in the history of God's narrative, in the written narrative that we call the Bible, is ever the hero of the story. And in order for us to discern who the hero of this story is and to whom we should run toward whenever we face temptation, we need to turn backwards in Joseph's story by a few verses. And so we're going to go back to verse um, at the beginning of chapter 39 and verse 2. And it says this, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered in the house of his Egyptian master. And then likewise, if we were to read through the entirety of Genesis 39, when we came to the end after Joseph is thrown into jail because he's falsely accused, the text once again mirrors this exact same thought. And it says in verse 21, But while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And so God... God and God alone, through his presence and power in Joseph's life, is the real and undeniable hero of this story. Because the truth is, church, Joseph was not a superman. He wasn't able to do what he did because he possessed some higher form of holiness that we need to aspire to. Joseph was able to overcome this persistent temptation because God was presently um, powerful and present in every one of his circumstances. And in order for that to be true, there had to be relationship that existed between Joseph and between God. 
And the text presupposes this idea because the truth is you cannot have relationship without presence. You can't have relationship without presence. And so he was able to overcome, speaking of Joseph, this temptation from Potiphar's wife, not because he possessed this great strength or this ability or the moral fortitude to do so. Joseph overcame the temptation because as he was running away from sin, he was running toward his relationship with God. And the truth is, church, is that Joseph is a type or shadow of the gospel message. A beautiful picture of the gospel message which we proclaim. Because the gospel teaches us this fact. That because of our sin, we are unable by our own merit or by our own ability to save ourselves from the consequences of our moral failures. And God in his wisdom and love for humanity sent his only son, Jesus, to live a perfect life and to die and sacrifice his life as payment for our sin. So that anyone throughout all of human history who calls on the name of Christ in faith may receive the promise of his eternal life. You see, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel message, the power of the gospel message begins in our lives when we recognize I have no power in and of myself to overcome sin. And as a result, I run as hard and as fast as I can to my hero, Jesus Christ. And the good news of the gospel this morning, church, is this. is that it's not only through faith in Christ that we are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. But also through faith in Christ, we receive the power and presence of Jesus in our lives for the overcoming of temptation. And I read this verse this week that I'm going to share with you in just a second. And I've read it a million times, and it's never struck me this way before. So I want to share it with you this morning and just lean into this promise that we receive as followers of Jesus for the power and presence in, his, of, in our lives for the overcoming of temptation. It's in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and it says this, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand, so that when we are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Church, don't rush past this this morning. Allow the words of God to marinate in your soul for just a second. Let that sit and just percolate in your life because there's something important that's being said here. And let me just unpack this for us so we can help to wrap our minds around it this morning because the truth of God's word this morning out of 1 Corinthians is powerful for the changing of our lives. We all have a tendency, myself included, that when we fall into sin, we tend to point the finger at someone else. And sometimes we point the finger upward and we blame God. But the truth is, whenever we give in to temptation, whenever we give in to temptation, and as a result, we do so because we say or believe that that temptation was too strong for me to resist, we are calling God 
a liar. When I say it was too much for me to withstand, I couldn't fight it, I had to give in, we are saying, God, you are a liar. Because the truth of God's word is this. Either it's real or it's not. Either God's word says what it means or it doesn't. We don't get to pick and choose as believers what I like and what I don't like. That's not the way this works, church. And God's word says to us as believers and followers of Christ that when we come to Jesus, he is faithful to not allow us to be tempted beyond what we might endure in that moment and also to provide us a way out every time. And so 1 Corinthians 10, 13 has a radical application for us this morning. Because it means, church, that if we give into temptation, it's not because God has been unfaithful to you or to I. That if we give into temptation, it simply means that we have chosen the lie of sin over the truth of God. And to quote Vaudi Bachman, if you can't say yes, you better, or if you can't say ouch, you better say amen. That means that every time as believers of Jesus, we have a choice. Every time we encounter temptation, we have a choice. We can either choose to run to the lie of sin, or we can choose to run to the power and presence of our hero, Jesus. And that's not to say that it's not easy, that it's not going to be difficult to do so. Temptation is temptation for a reason, amen? But here's the truth. There are going to be times when we have the ability to be able to speak the truth of God's word into a particular circumstance. And there are going to be times when we need to run like hell to get away from it. Or more specifically, run from hell to get away from it. As believers, we have a choice, church. And we can choose to rely on the power and presence of Jesus to overcome temptation. We can choose to rely on the power and presence of Jesus to overcome our temptation. And so the question this morning is this. We go back to where we started. Is it possible to develop a routine or pattern in our lives where we can routinely overcome temptation? I think Joseph's example and the promises that we have just briefly examined this morning in the gospel answer that question with a resounding yes. It is possible. But I think the better question that we can answer as we wrap up here this morning is how do I run to Jesus when I encounter temptation? What does that look like? What does that look like to actually run toward the power and presence of Jesus when I encounter temptation? I had a mentor of mine who used to tell me a story that I think resonates well this morning and is something that I still cling to today. He would tell me that his job used to take him out on the road for business. And as a result, there were times that he was sometimes tempted in those moments to view adult material on those lonely nights when he was away from home. Now, mind you, this is pre-smartphone before they existed. We're talking like back in the day when beepers were what was common, right? And so at that point in our time, Pornography was something that was only available down at the adult bookshop or was something that you viewed on pay-per-view in your hotel rooms. 
And so rather than waiting to try and fight the temptation in the moment, he would tell me this story how every time he would check into a hotel room, he would go in and unplug the television and physically walk it outside his door and set it in the hallway of the hotel. Can you imagine walking into that hotel and seeing this rando TV just sitting out in the hallway? Like, that's kind of weird. Wasn't expecting to see that. And we may laugh at his kind of the over-the-top reaction to this circumstance, but my mentor understood something that most of us simply do not get when it comes to temptation. Nick, he would tell me, victory over temptation often starts before the battle even begins. Victory over temptation often starts even before the battle begins. In other words, he wasn't in the habit of running only towards Jesus when he felt the lure of temptation's siren call. He developed a pattern and routine in his life where he surrendered every facet of his being to Jesus in order to overcome temptation before he even found himself in the circumstances where temptation might be lurking even if that meant that he might look ridiculous to others. And when we understand, church, this morning, the triggers, the people, and the circumstances that can lead us down a pathway towards temptation, like my mentor, I believe we would do well to surrender those things to the Lordship of Jesus. We do well to lay those things at the foot of the cross. And I think one of the ways that we can practically do that, one of the things that we can move towards as we get up and walk out of this building later this afternoon is by inviting others into our story. Is by inviting others into our story. Because the truth is when we allow others to see our weaknesses, we cut through and tear down the veil of secrecy that we try to hide behind to make it look like everything's okay, I've got everything under control. And we step into a community of like-minded believers that fosters prayer, that fosters encouragement, that fosters support and accountability not only for the moments where we find ourselves in the battle, but perhaps even more importantly, before we even find ourselves being tempted. And those temptations we wrestle with are not uncommon to us. And that's one of the reasons so many of us oftentimes avoid transparencies with others. We tend to buy into this belief that the stuff that I struggle with is the, uh, that I am the only person somehow on the face of the planet in human history who has ever struggled with this. And if anybody else sees me with this temptation or knows that I struggle with this, they're going to cast shame and fear and guilt upon me. But the truth is this, church. You're not alone. You're not alone. In fact, if we go back to Paul's words in, second, or in 1 Corinthians 10.13, he says this, and you might not have caught this the first time, but it's powerful. He says, the temptations of your life are no different from what others experience. The temptations of your life are no different from what others experience. In other words, that old devil loves to isolate us by getting us to buy into the belief that somehow our sin is unique. 
But the Apostle Paul claps back at that lie and says, your sin is not that special. Your sin is not unique. It's not distinctive just to you. There are people sitting in this room this morning that are struggling with the same things that you are struggling with. And when we invite others into our lives, maybe through a cup of coffee, going out to lunch, or being involved in a mosaic small group, we will find that we're probably not alone. And so church, my challenge for you this morning is that when we align ourselves with the truth of God's word, we free ourselves to invite others into our story. We can literally start to step out of the shame and guilt that our sin traps us with and step into community with others where we increasingly surrender the facets of our lives to the power and presence of Jesus for the overcoming of temptation. In other words, there's no need to try and balance your ability to overcome temptation by yourself. Similar to the way I tried to balance those Diet Cokes back at the hospital last week. That just ends up in a mess. But instead, when we surrender to the power and presence of Jesus this week, let's be a people who preemptively run to him by inviting others into our story. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world Visit us at mosaicwi.com.